As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. If you're the sort of Totally listener who's ever wondered to yourself, hmm, this Totally Football show makes for a really excellent podcast three times a week, but what if it was available in book form? Then you are in luck. The Totally Football Yearbook is the definitive chronicle of this season that's coming to its climax and it will look absolutely ravishing on your bookshelf or indeed in your bathroom. There's a foreword from Jamie Carragher, plus features in club-by-club season reviews, stats, quizzes and expertise from our chums at The Athletic and your Totally favourites like Daniel Storey, Rafa Honigstein, Duncan Alexander, James Horncastle and Julianne Laurent. The Totally Football Yearbook is out on August the 5th and you can pre-order your copy wherever you get your books today. Totally Football Show, European edition. Today, with all the big continental stories, from Bilbao Wow for Atletico to Ligue 1's top dogs, from Bayern losing to Mainz to has Fiorentino lost his. With a big look forward to this week's Champions and Europa League semi-finals thrown in, it's a top Totally Football Show in association with Paddy Power. Hello, listener. Thanks so much for joining us. It is Tuesday, the 27th of April, probably, and we've got the full crew for you today on Totally Football Show. That is James Horncastle. Hello, guys. Alvaro Romeo. Hola, guys. Raphael Honigstein. Hello. And Julian Laurence, who's back from his holiday uh, last Bonjour. week. Jules, you will not believe what happened while you were away. Tell me. What, so like 12 major clubs revealed they'd secretly been plotting for ages no. to tear up football and go and have their own thing. No way. But, yeah, yeah. But then and, they and Julian just coincidentally had to be away. Indeed. I was in Switzerland. PSG oh. were not part of it, so Jules wasn't interested in that league. Exactly. You know, values. Values first. That's the most important. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> uh, well, we'll talk more about that because that story... Goes on and on, but you know. But let's get some weekend standout moments before we get into any of that. Weekend standout moments with Paddy Power. Alvaro, you're first. Well, the moment of the week is uh, the turnaround that we have seen in La Liga this weekend. Because right now, uh, Barcelona depends on their own results to win the title, 
and they just have to draw against Atletico de Madrid at home in a couple of weeks' time and then win uh, the rest of the games they, ca they have to play uh, to be crowned champions. So what happened to Atletico de Madrid is that the defeat at Bilbao was the confirmation that they are having a really bad moment and they haven't lost the leadership yet, but uh, they are close to. And uh, yeah, the news is that Barcelona is closer to the title than a week ago. Mm. So it's all in Barcelona's hands, but equally it's all in Atletico Madrid's hands because if they beat Barca in that game... Yeah, but if uh, Atletico Club Bilbao and Atletico would have drawn at uh, Bilbao, then Atletico could have done with a draw at Camp Nou. But now, Atletico needs to win at Camp Nou, and this is something that they struggle to do. Exactly. All right, well... Four teams within three points of each other in La Liga. It's pretty tight in Ligue 1 as well, isn't it, Jules? It is, James. And the moment of the weekend has to be this incredible game between Lyon and Lille on Sunday night. Uh, Lyon went 2-0 up and then Lille came back. Thanks mostly to Borak Yilmaz at 35, or Kral, you know, the king, as they call him in Turkey, who just took this team to another level. And now, a bit like with Barcelona, but even more for Lille, they've got their destiny in their own hands. The four games to go, if they win them all, they will be champions. Mm -hmm. But PSG and Monaco are right on their tails. James? Yeah. Well, Sinisa Mihailovic, the Bologna coach, he was saying that Pep Guardiola is wrong when he calls Atalanta or playing Atalanta uh, like going to the dentist. He was like, I'd much rather go to the dentist than play against Atalanta because at least they give you an anesthetic or they even put you asleep so you don't feel like, you don't feel the pain. Instead, he had to watch his team get beaten 5-0 by Atalanta, who go into second and will probably finish second by, I don't know, five, six, seven points at the end of the season. Because mm. uh, just as the title race looks done in Italy, I think second spot is done as well. All right. You're not a dentist, but you'll be giving us a recap on that later on. <laughs> Meantime, Rafa, your moment of the weekend from the Bundesliga. Well, moment of the weekend. Can we do maybe moment of the early week? Right. Because I think Bayern um, agreeing to get Julian Nagelsmann in is probably the most momentous story from from a, a plethora of stories um, with all sorts of managerial changes and sports directors quitting. But Nagelsmann to Bayern is the big one. By the time we're recording this, this has not yet been confirmed, but the two clubs are very, very close. And it's been no secret that Nagelsmann wants to go to Bayern. So um, th this is easily the biggest thing uh, to happen uh, this week. All right, all that and much more to come. We're going to begin in Ligue 1. The Totally Football Show European Edition's Moment of the Weekend. Brought to you by Paddy Power. Defences may be looking shaky at the moment, but Paddy's offers are rock solid. If one leg of your four plus fold acker lets you down, get a free bet. Max free bet £10, minimum odds 1 to 5 per leg, online exclusive, no shot bets, T's and C's apply, 18 plus, begambleaware.org. Jules, this weekend it was the second highest scoring match day of the 21st century in Liga. Incredible. 38 goals scored. And a weekend that for about half an hour on Sunday night saw Paris Saint-Germain back on top before, as you mentioned, that incredible Lille comeback in their big top four clash against Lyon. This looked like quite a game. It was fantastic, really was. I mean, Lille were fourth in the table after half an hour in that game. They were 2-0 down. They could not really do... Um, 
not against the run of play, but they they, they scored one on goal and then they made a mistake on the uh, the Slimani goal. So two defensive mistakes, two goal down, and he looked by then that PSG were top. But those those four clubs would be all within two points of each other, and yet somehow Lille turned it around. I mean, the resilience of that team is pretty incredible. It's not the first time where they they went behind that way and and came back. And certainly Borak Yilmaz, 35, for someone who'd never played outside of Turkey before, to come to France and to this with this young little team, and uh, and guiding them so far to towards the title is pretty impressive. He scored two goals, one free kick, and then the winning goal in in what five minutes from time on a counter attack with a lovely chip. He created the second goal as well, so two goals and assist for him. And and yes, Lyon made mistakes, and we saw Lucas Paqueta coming off in tears after giving away the ball that led to the equaliser, the 2-2 goal for Lille. Uh, and he was unconsolable on, on the touchline. But, but Lille was so... Just, just don't give up. And once they, they have the edge and that sort of psychological advantage, they just like... They don't give it away. They, they're so, so strong mentally. It's incredible. Mm. Yilmaz, who they picked up on a free transfer no, at the start of the season. What a 2021 he's having. Because it was him who had the, the hat-trick for Turkey and their mm. shock 4-2 victory over the Netherlands back in uh, back in March. And I think he, if he hadn't missed two months uh, between, I think, December and the end of Jan of competition for Lille, I think that they could, they could easily be much clearer away at the top because mm. he's been unstoppable at times. And he's not... He's a bit of an old-school striker, but he still has, has a little bit of pace. But certainly his determination and his... I was someone telling me he's quite grumpy. He's often grumpy. He's quite grumpy at training as well, but he's so demanding. And that all the youngsters, and there's a lot of young players again in that team, very talented squad, but very young as well and inexperienced, just just follow. He just guides them through everything at training, the level of dedication, of the every detail. Everything has to be important. And he's been such a key part in this campaign for this team. He's, he's staggering how much you can get from a 35-year-old who just came on a free. Mm. So Lille are top dogs again, but it is so it tight. Is. Three teams within two points at the top of the table with four matches to go. It's Lille, then a point behind PSG and a point behind them. Monaco are on an incredibly good run at the moment. You've looked at the run-in, Jules. Who is going to win? It's, it's, a, it's a good question. Funnily enough, Lens, who are currently fifth in the table, are actually facing the three, the, the three teams at the top. So they will play... The derby against Lille in two weeks' time. They will play against PSG this weekend. Come in. They will also play against Monaco before, so they can they can almost referee in a way. This, this they incredible... are the crown makers. Yeah, they could be indeed, James. Then there's a big uh, Monaco Lyon game next weekend, which is less significant, I guess, now because because Lyon are six points behind the leaders now, so it looks like a, a very long shot for them. But whether to beat Monaco away at Stade Louis next weekend. Then they will certainly come back and this could harm massively Monaco if PSG and, and Lille were to win next weekend. So there's probably more twists to come, but it feels like Lens more than, for example, Nice, uh, who will also face Lille uh, next weekend, for example. It feels like Lens could really be the team that decides in a way a bit who's going to be the champions. Right. Monaco faced Lyon last week in the Cup, though, didn't they? And they absolutely mullered them. Not really. They won 2-0, but they okay. were really struggling in the first half where Lyon hit the, the woodwork three times in the first 45 minutes. Could easily have been 3-0 up at half-time and they were so much better than Monaco. And once again, Monaco, who since the start of the season, or certainly in 2021, often starts slowly and, and, and get a half-time with a 0-0 draw or a draw or even behind losing. 
And then because the squad is so talented and so so good, I think Kovac has so many options to bring on from the bench, like a Cesc Fabregas, like a Golovin, like a like a Wissam Benyeda, who's not even always starting for this team now. And that has worked so well for them because they always finish so strongly. And again, this weekend, Benyeda scored 10 minutes from time. And, and that's what got them the three points. But I think they have the best squad, certainly in terms of, of, of quantity. And that helps them massively in a season where you can have five subs. Oh, better mm. than PSG. I think if you, if you look at it, certainly in terms of who they had missing for injury and everything, and who can come in and replace some of the big players, they, they, they certainly are right up there, yeah. And again, those five subs have been huge for Kovac and that team. Mm. Nine straight victories, one of which came in a shootout. But in those nine victories, they haven't conceded a single goal. If you take it back a little bit further, they've only conceded one goal in their last 12 games, including a 2-0 defeat of PSG in there. And wow. So you're not going to say who you think is going to win it, Jules. Paris Saint-Germain, obviously, that's where your heart lies. But it would be yeah. fantastic for Liga to see Monaco or Lille you know, freshen it up a bit. Yeah, of course. I mean, Lille have been fantastic. They've been the most consistent all season. They've lost only three games. They've, they haven't lost against either Monaco, Lyon or PSG and they've played them twice already and they took four points out of them all. So one win, one draw every single time against the other big three in, in the season, which is really, really impressive. And yeah, of course, PSG had their troubles and changed managers and, and the Champions League and all of that. And Maybe some would bring that as, as, as an excuse, but Lille have just been fantastic. And again, that blend of experience with Yilmaz or Jose Font, although he scored a non-goal on Sunday, Jose Font has, has re- really been great for them. And if you add to that young players like Botman, La Sumare, like Ikone, Bomba, Yazici, all of those players, uh, Jonathan David up front as well, who's come big with some big goals. This is this is the recipe, plus a, a top, top manager in Christophe Galtier, who I think, unfortunately for them, will leave the club, whether they're champions or not, this summer, which is a real shame. But that, that's the recipe of, of them having a, a wonderful season. And again, their resilience has been fantastic. Jules, I'm not going to say it's now or never for Lille, because... Uh, Rudy Garcia did lead them to the title, which I think was their first since the the 50s. But with the change of ownership there, with the pandemic, with the TV contract, there's obviously a lot of speculation around uh, some of Lille's best players. For example, Milan have been linked with uh, the goalkeeper, uh, Mike Magnon. Sanchez, Renato Sanchez had a real kind of return to form uh, under them. Uh, And you mentioned Galtier um, as well, who's done a, a magnificent job. And it's not like... They've got Luis Campos there anymore to kind of rebuild this team. So what, do you feel that the, the awareness of that is, is one of the things that's driving this team to an unexpected triumph? Yeah, maybe you're right. Maybe that's part of the determination and that resilience that we were talking about. They know that if it's not this season, I don't know when this opportunity will come again because Galtier will leave in the summer again, even if they're champions, I think. Uh, to go to, to bigger things and he deserves it, to be fair. And then because they've got huge debts as well, they will have to sell, which is which has always been the plan anyway. But maybe even more this season when considering how much money they're losing, that they will have to sell uh, an Ikone or Botman who's been fantastic but would only have been there one season uh, because they need to balance their book in a way or another. So, so yeah, you're right. What's a shame is that they won't be able to bring this team to the Champions League next season, which I think is a real shame because this would have or been the a Super very competitive... League. Or the Super League, for all we know. Because I think this, this would have been a very competitive team. I don't know what the Lille team of next season will look like, but I doubt very much. A bit like what we saw with Monaco in 2017, that 
the next little team will be as good as this one. And that's, that's the problem of those business models is that it takes you a long time usually to rebuild, especially once your, your big players have gone. But considering they've sold someone like Ozyman last summer, who was by far their best player last season, and they had a really good season last season as well. Uh, people like him or, you know, even Nicola Pepe to a certain extent the season before, but to keep losing your best players and still being able to produce a, a season like this one, a campaign like this one, is really, really remarkable. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, Paris Saint-Germain in the meantime staying one point behind Lille with a 3-1 win at Metz. Uh, with a brace from Kylian Mbappé, he did pick up a knock in that game, which led to some suggestions he might not be available for their clash with Man City. But I believe, Jules, the word is that he's good to go for that. Certainly looking forward to seeing how Paris Saint-Germain deal with City on Mm. Wednesday. Yeah, you're right. No, he's he's all good. No problem at all. I think it was just a knock and they they were reassured very quickly after that game. But he scored two goals again. I mean, he's been incredible in 2021 and especially in the last six to eight weeks. So it'll be very interesting to see what he does against City and playing against them again like he did that night at the Etihad when he was only 17 for his first ever Champions League start uh, with Monaco back in 2017 where he just blew them apart. So it'll be very interesting. Right. This has been a bit of a revenge tour, you know, settling scores. We mentioned this in the past. Paris Saint-Germain in the Champions League this year, dealing with Bayern Munich, who beat them in the finals, dealing with Barcelona, who'd, well, we don't need to go into what they'd done previously. But Man City, of course, last time they met Paris Saint-Germain, it was in the quarterfinals five years ago and they knocked PSG out. This time around, Mbappe looks absolutely crucial to PSG's approach. Is that fair? Him yeah. being as a kind of lone outlet and... Uh, Herrera, like this weekend, or or Neymar as against Bayern, just pinging balls over to him? I think that would be the approach. It, it depends what Pochettino wants to do. Either you can try to, to to play City with their strength and having the ball and trying to make City run after the ball more than you run after the ball. Or you play a bit deeper and you play like against Bayern, maybe, maybe trying not to... Uh, to be under pressure as much uh, and, and yeah and, and, and go quickly on the counter and, and, and try to hit Kylian Mbappe and Neymar and Di Maria who would be that front three for sure on, on Wednesday night with Icardi on the bench so I think I think that's probably the second option the, that, the one they will use that Pochettino will use and try to use the pace of Mbappe and, and not just the pace but the form that he's in uh, but Marco Verratti coming back and, and being so good against Mets at the weekend also gives you something that you didn't have against Bayern Munich which is the capacity of having the ball a bit more, play under pressure, get the ball out under pressure as well. And then if, as well as Neymar and Di Maria, you also have Verratti who can, who can pass the ball, give through the ball to Kylian Mbappe, then that's again another asset that you can have against City and the defence. And is, is Marquinhos totally ruled out for the game? No, he should be there. They, they really, they're quite positive that he will be there. He hasn't played since that first leg in yeah, Munich yeah. under the snow. But he's training well. He doesn't feel any pain anymore. So... He's still not 100% sure that he will start. Uh, there's, only, there's, there's still a bit of time to go between now and the first leg when we record this in the first leg, but they're quite positive that he will be able to start at the back. Mm. Where do you think Pep will be looking to hurt PSG? Where, w- what's the weak spot, do you think, conversely for Pochettino's side in this? I think you will have to force Variety to defend a bit more. So you, if you put under pressure the midfield too, especially of Paredes and, and Gay or... Danilo Pereira and Gay, and Verratti, who now is, is a more advanced midfielder than, than he used to before, then I think if you put them three under pressure, and especially the two that, who will sit 
then I think City will will find a way. If if Gundogan and and De Bruyne, for example, play in the half spaces and and in behind Gay and, and Paredes or, or Danilo, then I think they will hurt them a lot more. I think than in the wing than on the wings where. I think PSG will, will expect them to, to come that way at them. But I think it's, it's that, that midfield battle that will be key. Mm. Who do you guys have as the favourites? Rafa? I think Man City are comfortably the better team. We know that PSG has some fantastic individuals, especially up front. But when it comes to the ability to play as a team, I haven't seen enough from PSG to really be that impressed. Uh, they defended reasonably well. They played they well on the break. Bayern Munich in the last... Yeah, I know, but I, I still didn't think they were great. Um, I thought Bayern wasted a lot of chances. I thought Bayern made some stupid mistakes at the back. And as I just said, PSG has some amazing players up front. But as a team, collectively, I don't think they're in the same league as, as City. They had the chance to be, but they turned it down, of course. Alvaro. Yeah, maybe maybe Manchester City is better collectively, but the autonomy that Neymar and Mbappé can have, uh, irrespective of how good uh, their team are playing, is something that uh, makes PSG very dangerous. And let's not forget that this is the Champions League finalist. Let's not forget that this team has knocked out Barcelona and Bayern without Berratti, who is uh, the most important midfielder in PSG. So I think that PSG, they know how to compete. This is not a naive team at all. And uh, I find it impossible to say who is the favourite. I'm sorry. No problem, Avro. James, <laughs> do you want to have a bang at this? Or should we move on to the other? He's a PSG fan now. He said he's a PSG fan. So we know what, we know what he thinks. Yeah. I'm still waiting for City to get over the hump in Europe, get over this complex that they've had. PSG have done it. Um, they've been to a final. Um, and you know, this time last year, I think we were talking about Mbappe not scoring in knockout games. He's doing that. Um, so, I think they're a very dangerous Champions League team. Um, I think it does matter um, once you go all the way. Um, yeah, we've seen it so often in the last decade. Teams that finish runners up lose the final, come back, win the final the following year. Um, like Juventus. Like Juventus, yes. That's the. The first and probably lightest dig Juventus are going to get in this Man United. <laughs> but, um, I, you know, I mean, Liverpool did it. Um, yeah, just to give you an example. So, uh, you know, uh, let's see if, if, if Pep doesn't overthink this one. That's the question that, you know, is the, the repeat narrative over and over again. He's overthought it. So let's, let's see if he doesn't overthink this one. I agree that there is a danger that Pep does something crazy, although I think he's been more restrained and conservative by his own standards in recent uh, European competition. And I'm not sure it's fair to talk about, you know, the mental block so much because remember, City's big issue was getting into the semi-final. Now they've done that. So I don't know why there should be now a huge difference between them and PSG who've made one final. City hadn't made one semi-final before. I think this, these issues are not really that relevant for the game. We'll see on Wednesday evening, first leg anyway. Next up, let's turn our thoughts to Tuesday evening's semi-final at the Val de Bebas, Real Madrid against Chelsea. This episode is supported by FX's Welcome to Wrexham. 
Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the team's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher league. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenge and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham. All new Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. This is the Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. The Athletic is the only place you can read articles by Daniel Taylor, Amy Lawrence, Phil Hay, James Pierce, Ollie Kay, and the very best football writers around. Real Madrid against Chelsea. First time these clubs have ever met in the Champions League. Interesting backdrop with Perez in recent days accusing Chelsea with Man City of caving or even sabotaging perhaps his brilliant project for a bold new pan-European dawn. Those 40 Chelsea fans. Yeah. Well, busting by UEFA. I don't think they were Chelsea fans. Uh, UEFA, of course, have been making threatening noises about whether this game could even go ahead, given that Real Madrid have yet to renounce their participation in the renegade Super League. But it is going ahead. It is on Tuesday. So actually, by the time you hear this, it might be imminent, listener. So let's get let's get on with a very quick preview. Uh, Real Madrid, Alvaro, you joined us on Monday, Monday morning's show just to kind of talk about the fact that Real Madrid's form of late, three goalless draws in the last four, doesn't look the best. You don't seem unduly concerned for them, though. No, I'm not, because I think that this uh, has only one explanation. Uh, They have been drained. They have had many players in the sidelines, but they are uh, getting some players back for this game. And this is very important for Real Madrid. Uh, Carvajal, Rafael Vagan... um, Tony Cross, they are players who will be back for this game. And uh, these uh, guys uh, will always be start for, uh, for Zinedine Zidane in big games. So uh, I think that um, Real Madrid a couple of weeks ago, uh, or even against Betis, they look like uh, they were a team that needed urgently some holidays. Uh, but now, against Chelsea, I think they are going to bring back their best version. So no, I'm not particularly worried about Real Madrid. I think that... Uh, I was commentating on Chelsea's game uh, the other day, and um, this Chelsea Chelsea team is not a team that uh, when they go up front or they go forward, uh, they score many goals. If anything, they rely on their uh, solidity. I think that they have had almost 30 clean sheets this season, uh, 17 of them with Thomas Tuchel. So uh, I think that uh, Real Madrid, if anything, they will find it difficult to score a goal. But I don't think that Chelsea will challenge so much um, uh, up front to Real Madrid. And there is another thing about Chelsea that has to be said. Uh, There are four players that, to me, they seem very similar right now in terms of numbers and in terms of uh, contribution. Uh, Havertz, Werner, Thijets and Christian Pulisic. And I think that the next decisive step that Chelsea will probably make if they want to win the domestic title is getting the best version at least of two of these four. Players. I think that if Havertz and Werner, they are the players that they were last season. Chelsea will definitely make 10 more points in the Premier League next year. But at the minute, uh, the four players, they look very similar with different uh, you know, uh, skills and all that. But uh, their contribution is, hasn't been that impressive. And I don't think Real Madrid should be that scared about these players. Uh, in contrast, I think that Real Madrid, they have managed to beat really good teams in the Champions League. And the technique they have in the midfield allows them to not only to control the game, but also to set the pace of the game. So against Liverpool, for example, Zinedine Zidane's main idea was, you know, have 
your possession has to be the longer the better. And that's why they didn't finish off many, many attacking actions, because they wanted to play the ball again, 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 and make sure that Liverpool didn't have the rhythm of the game. And I believe that against Chelsea, they will probably try to do something like that. Mm, interesting. Of course, uh, as you saw in Chelsea's recent game, Timo Werner has officially now turned the corner, scoring his first goal in eight Premier League games. Rafa, how far are we away from him exploding all over the Champions League? I don't know, but he was in very good spirits after the game. I was able to speak to him and I said, was this your most important goal for Chelsea? And he laughed and said, well, there haven't been that many. Um, and he seemed to be quite, you know, um, resigned to the fact, or well, that's maybe the wrong word, but at peace, maybe, shall we say, with the fact that he hasn't been doing so well and maybe now finds a slightly more optimistic outlook uh, for the next few months. I think the key for him is still having a number nine that he can play behind with. I think that is really his best position. I don't think that he enjoys playing through the middle. But Chelsea on the whole, what I found against West Ham, when Kovac is, is not on the pitch, the different parts of the team, they sort of play almost their own game and there's very little interchange um, of course, you have the wing backs, but when they're effectively shut down, and West Ham did that pretty well, and um, Real Madrid did it really well against Liverpool, shutting down the wings, then there is not much happening um, as far as real, you know, circulation in difficult areas is concerned. And I think that's going to be the key for for Real Madrid if they keep the wing backs from going forward effectively then I think Chelsea find it hard to have these connections between the three guys up front and the two midfielders who are by their nature more more defensive, conservatively minded from Chelsea. So I'd say it's a pretty difficult game to to predict. I'd make Rumbred slight favourites. Mm. Well, Kovacic won't be uh, available for the game, but another veteran or another player could be facing his former side, and that's Eden Hazard, Alvaro. Even Eden Hazard. Uh, he came on against Real Betis at the weekend in that goalless draw. He hasn't started a game since January. Seriously, is he going to feature in this one? Feature? Maybe. A start? I don't think so. I really don't think so. Um, but, uh, you know, he, he looked lively against Betis. He tried to do a couple of things on the wing. And... Uh, I think that he has to take it step by step. I think that Vinicius will be the guy playing on the left. Uh, it's good news for Real Madrid, though, that Hazard is, is there. Uh, but Vinicius, Asensio and Benzema playing together seems to be the most likely uh, attacking trio for Real Madrid um, on Tuesday night. Okay. No fellow Mendy, though. So it's either you play Marcelo at left back and you play in the back five because he can't play as in a back four, or you play Nacho at left back who is not a left back and not left-footed. And potentially, might not be a good idea. So that takes out that move that came off against Atalanta, doesn't it? Yeah. Where they'd rehearsed that that move, uh, which ended with the wrong player scoring on his wrong foot uh, in, in Bergamo, which was Mendy. Even Zidane laughed about that. Did Zidane not laugh very much then, Alvaro? Mm, I think that, <laughs> he, you know, he's been, he's been a little bit... Um, Vinegaris uh, lately, oh. Fidan. Uh, I don't know nice. if that word uh, works in English. Uh, a little bit bitter um, lately because he's been uh, having to answer many questions about the Superliga. Right. Sour, I think. Well, how would you say that in Spanish? Avinagrado. <laughs> but do you have a purple onesie like he does? 
Or do you even have a dog like he has? Or do you have a purple sofa like he has? No way. I, I enjoyed Zinedine's uh, color blocking. I thought, yeah, you know, me too. Go People for it. have been laughing, but... I missed this. What was Zidane's color blocking in? On Twitter. Or Insta, in, sorry. Instagram, Insta. yeah. Right, right. It's a bit Teletubby. Yeah. Tony Montana like. I don't know if you see that. You know, Tony Montana, he got flashy backgrounds. Okay. Yeah, but he doesn't wear like a... Like a, <laughs> a lilac onesie. No, but yeah. that yeah, pol, uh, purple velvet type. Look to me a bit gangsta. Let's now take a second to check out Zidane's Instagram feed. And when we return, we'll be answering some questions ourselves about the Super League. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This is the Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Fallout continues to rumble on from last week's Super League plot. Jules, this will all be new to you. But uh, Sheferin has been talking about singling out the flat earthers, the ones who wouldn't give it up. How much trouble are the likes of Real Madrid, Barcelona and Juventus, for it is they, in from UEFA and also from the bankers, given that this is how they were going to make their ends meet? How are they going to deal with their billions of debt if they don't have a Super League to cover their costs? And with UEFA apparently now re-examining the Champions League reforms that they'd only just brought in a week ago, what's going to happen there? Have a bang on those questions, why don't you? I mean, I think the most interesting part of this discussion now is what is Florentino Perez doing? Is is this just you know him refusing to countenance tr- the truth and in sort of comical Ali style, no, the tanks are not in Baghdad sort of thing? Or <laughs> is, is he hoping that the contract and some of the clauses will hold up enough at least for him and the remaining clubs to make some financial um, have some financial benefit from the fact that the other teams have pulled out it's difficult to see what he's trying to achieve there's also the question of Barcelona because the contract as far as I understand it explicitly says that if Barcelona's members turn the idea down then the clubs are free to reconsider. And if 70% of the founding members, which by my maths is 9 out of 12, agree that without Barcelona it's not viable, then it can pull out immediately without any financial liabilities. So my guess is, having not seen the entire contract but bits of it, that the clubs who have pulled out will be relying that that might happen. So we don't know for sure what uh, Perez's plan is going forward, or indeed Andrea Agnelli at Juventus, Juve, announcing that they'd acted with maximum transparency this week, which is a pretty extraordinary piece of uh, doublespeak. Uh, Alvaro, from what you've been saying in the past, the mood in um, Madrid is by no means as critical as it has been of this plan in the UK. But in, in Barcelona, for example, where does this leave them in terms of dealing with that billion euros worth of debt? Well, um, Joan Laporta knows that Barcelona needs to be there in the Super League. Otherwise, 
it will be very difficult for him to to tackle that uh, monumental billion depth that the club has. Uh, at the same time, as Rafael said, um, the assembly will have to validate uh, playing in the Super League or not, or in but that there's, hypothetical but there's no Super, Super League, League to play in Alvaro. This is, I mean, whether this yeah. returns in the future, the prospect is. I can't. I don't think anyone's seriously suggesting that next season yeah. or anytime soon. And they need to pay a significant chunk back already this summer, no? that uh, there will be any Super League to cover the cost for Barcelona. So what kind of plan do you think they have? Or will they be cut slack in the way that the Spanish giants usually are? No, I, I think that if, even if they get the usual suspects help, like La Caixa Bank in Barcelona, a local bank and all that, uh, this will be not enough this time. So... You know, Lionel Messi has to extend his contract, so that is something that will have to be addressed again, because probably Laporta was relying on the Super League money to uh, offer Lionel Messi something very reasonable uh, for the Argentinian. And at the same time, I remember that, uh, for example, last year, around this stage, uh, Bartomeu said that uh, Barcelona will have a naming rights in the stadium, but uh, for the first year, uh, all the money collected from the naming rights will go to charities and, uh, you know, to tackle COVID, uh, the, the consequences of COVID-19. But I think that that uh, may have to be reconsidered as well. Uh, if Barcelona has uh, the possibility of making some money uh, from the naming rights in the ground, maybe that will have to go to Barcelona's uh, pockets straight away, because otherwise it's going to be very difficult to tackle all this. But yeah, as I said before, the Super League, as it stands, it looks like it's not happening. But if there is a proper victim here, it's Florentino Perez more than Laporta, because at least Laporta will, uh, will say, all right, but uh, that was not going to happen if um, a percentage of my assembly will vote against it. But Florentino, uh, that was a one-man show. And what we saw last week, it was a man embarrassing himself, going, instead of, you know, presenting all this project... Uh, the way it should have been, like in Monte Carlo, which each team in Monte Carlo or whatever, like a fashionable city, with all the stars in there, the best players, just uh, validating and supporting the league. It was Florentino going to El Chiringuito, a very flashy show in Spanish TV, Midnight. And that's not the way you present it to the world, I'm sorry. And I think that this is, this is because Florentino uh, is surrounded by people uh, who have him in adulation, basically. This is a man with no critics. Uh, around him, no people who criticize him, and he's alone. Last week he was a man alone on his own. Where was, I don't know, where were the rest of the owners, the rest of the people who signed with him? So I think that, uh, yeah, uh, I don't know if his reputation is damaged very badly at Real Madrid because we don't know what Real Madrid socios think normally, but the, yeah, this is the, the worst moment of Florentino's Real Madrid president for sure. His reputation, I would say, that uh, has, been, has been touched. Has his reputation been damaged more than Agnelli's or Agnelli's more than his? What do you think, James? Well, Agnelli is the lightning rod, I think, for this project because he's campaigned on behalf of the European Club Association for reform, reform which it looked like they were getting, reforms which were approved on Monday uh, with UEFA. And certainly a lot of Chefferin's uh, criticism has been directed at uh, his relationship with, with Andrea Agnelli. Um, I think it's very damaging for for him to be spoken of in those terms that uh, that Sheffrin's used uh, a liar, a snake, and now I think there are legitimate questions about his ability to continue as as Juventus's president because he has burnt the bridges uh, with UEFA, 
uh, with the European Club Association, which he represented since 2017 as their president. He resigned from um, both the Exco and his presidency on what last Sunday night. Uh, Eleven teams in Syria have signed a letter um, to the to the president of the league, um, asking for an emergency assembly in which they analyse. Uh, what sanctions can be taken and what can be done um, against uh, not only Agnelli, but the the other two rebel clubs in Serie A, Inter and, and Milan. Um, so I think if you're the board at Juventus or if you're the board of Exor, which is the Agnelli family holding company, which has a majority share in the club, you have to ask whether Juventus's best interests are served by having a president who has, at this moment in time, no relationship with all the major sporting institutions, foreign and domestic. Mm. Rafa. Uh, James, we all know the motivation of the two Spanish clubs. I'm less clear on why Juve were part of the ringleaders. I mean, they're the most prudently and best run club in Italy. They are in a dominant position. Financial imperatives shouldn't be weighing as heavily on them as they did for the two Spanish clubs who spent money they don't have. Why was Agnelli so desperate almost to to push this project i think he wants to be at the forefront of everything yeah i mean the motto at juventus is live ahead i think he and the whole agnelli family or the way they go about business is to anticipate change 15 20 years down the line and i think he felt that this was doing that whether it's right or wrong i think one of the things that has perhaps been not given the significance uh, it deserves in, in, in the UK really, is that I think you can make the case that with the big six in the Premier League, it was about greed. I think in Southern Europe, it's an act of desperation. I think it's an act of desperation for Barcelona in particular with uh, the debts that they've got. I think with Inter right now, we don't know what the future at Inter looks like beyond May because I think this was a chance for them to rescue themselves as well. And they're now going to have to go looking for another bridging loan to to keep the club going. I think Milan uh, have the history and tradition of one of the European greats, but haven't been in the Champions League since 2014. And they want stability. I think all of these clubs want stability when it comes to their ability. Right, We've got guaranteed income coming in and we can invest in this, this and this. And they feel that they don't have that mm. at the moment. And they feel that they need to rationalize the system. They need to get costs under control. I know a lot of people right now say, well, you should just spend less money. And well, you also, shouldn't have got into... I mean, a lot of people will say all clubs want those things. All clubs want stability, etc. But what you've got here is a, a small group of clubs taking all of that stability for themselves and significantly increasing the risks and diminishing the returns for, for everybody else. But I mean, I, I'm not saying you're arguing Milan's case, but that certainly would be... No, but I point. also think... There has to be a, 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 this debate can't just focus, I think, on 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 these twelve teams. I think there has to be a debate about UEFA's role uh, and whether the existing sporting model works from a sporting perspective and from a business perspective. Because I don't think it does anymore. I think I think as much as people think that some clubs are too big to fail, I think we're at genuine risk of maybe two clubs going, uh, you know, uh, one of the big clubs going under if some solution is not found. But UEFA would say we have brought down the debt. Our measures, which the clubs didn't agree with necessarily, all of them, our measures have reduced debts. It's not us who suggest that they go out and blow 
however much it was Barca spent on Griezmann. Yeah, but or at the same time, you, 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 you can make the case that has financial fair play stopped costs going uh, going up? It's like you look at the inflation in the transfer market that has been brought about by clubs that have come in with state wealth or whatever. Mm. You know, if, if 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 PSG want to go and sign Neymar for two hundred twenty million, they go and do that. If they want to sign, even in this, even in the centre back market, if they want to pay fifty million for David Luiz, all of a sudden fifty million becomes the the the, the going rate for an okay centre back in the transfer market. It's your fault, Jules. See, always, always. <laughs> but, but look at look for example at uh, Sevilla. They signed uh, Jules Kounde mm, for twenty million. You know what I mean? They have a network of uh, sporting directors and, uh, you know, talent seekers and they do the job, for example, not spending so much money. But what I find uh, impossible to understand, and this is, for me, what it has been the biggest problem of Florentino and Spanish football, football by extension, is that Florentino is saying, look, we need more money to sign Mbappé, for example, <laughs> and uh, to, to play in the Super League and to make La Liga rights more expensive and more appealing again. But how can La Liga rights be more appealing if there is no the principle of competition? If merit doesn't qualify you for, for the Champions League or for whatever the European competition is. And mm. I think that this is the big mistake here. Um, nobody from the Super League has explained the details well because maybe there are, there are some good points over there to hear. Maybe, maybe there are, and we need to know why exactly they are so angry with UEFA. But for example, what happens this season? Let's say that the Super League was, was next year, and let's see for the, in the interest of the conversation that Bayern, Dortmund, and PSG were the other three teams. Therefore, there were five guests, right? Well, what happens with Leicester? What happens with Sevilla? What happens to Porto, Sporting Club Portugal, Ajax, Lille, Monaco? I count already seven clubs that mm. they deserve to qualify for the Champions League and they will qualify straight for the Champions League based on the merit of what they are doing this season. They haven't explained all that. Who are no. going to be the five guests? So there are so many gaps in there that it's difficult to take them seriously. In a way, the, the problem with the Champions League is that it's been too successful because it generates so much money for the clubs who are involved that if you miss out, it is catastrophic. You no longer can function unless you have that Champions League money. And of course, that has a very distortive effect on the rest of the competition. So I think the only way, James, if you want to create more security and more of a consistent revenue stream is to redistribute the money more evenly so that the gaps between the Champions League and Europa League is not one to five or one to four, but maybe can only be two to one. And then... If you finished fifth or sixth one season, you're not completely dead. At the same time, if you finish second or third, it doesn't necessarily push you into a new dimension all, all of a sudden. That's something that the big clubs would have been absolutely categorical against. Mm. But now I think UEFA have maybe a chance to say, it'd be good for, for us, it'd be even good for you as the club if we take away that huge disparity between finishing in the top four and finishing just below. My man Biggie had it exactly. More money, more problems. We'll see what what UEFA decide to do because Sheffield has already said that they will, will, will be revisiting the kind of two legacy places that had been announced as part of the Champions League reforms. It looks like that could be what is used to kind of beat the Rebels on the head with the, 
the new version of the Champions League that is was due to come in in 2024. We'll see what happens about that. A quick uh, tweet, though, from Alex O'Farrell, one of our listeners, who on the subject of punishment or sanctions for the Rebel side says, how about as punishment if any of the 12 Super League teams qualify for the Champions League for next season? They now have to start at the first preliminary round so that the smaller teams instead get their guaranteed spot in the group stages and they have to travel the lesser spotted corners of Eastern Europe in late July. For me, I think that's brilliant and they definitely should do that. It depends if some of these teams actually qualify for the Champions League, which mm. I imagine we'll get to when it comes to Serie A. All right. Well, that treat is to come, James. Uh, but uh, with the Super League discussions, no doubt set to return in future editions of the Totally Football Show. Next up, let's get back to the football. And hey, we'll deal with the title race in Spain. Uh, Harry, is there any truth in the rumours that you're off to Spain in the summer? Uh, 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 sorry, me, uh, me no hablo inglés. <laughs> what about one of the Manchester clubs? Oh, uh, well, you know, it's... Uh... Well, Harry, what about my source who says you're keen to stay at Spurs? <laughs> uh, can we keep the questions sensible, please? Kane's future at Spurs remains uncertain, but you're guaranteed to get money back as a free bet if one leg of your fourfold acre lets you down. Paddy Power! Max free bet £10, min odds 1 to 5 on each leg. Online exclusive exclude shop bets and enhanced match odds. T's and C's apply. 18 plus, begumbleaware.org. On Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Smart Speaker and now ad-free on The Athletic, this is The Totally Football Show with James Richardson. El saque de esquina desde el perfil derecho, la va a poner, y va y la pelota al punto de penalti, el intento de remate, golazo! Golazo de Íñigo Martínez! In La Liga. This weekend, Real lose ground in the title race. They only drew against Betis Sevilla. Uh, Barcelona won against Villarreal. And Sunday night, Alvaro, Sunday night, leaders Atletico Madrid made their way to the San Mames to face their namesakes, Athletic Club de Bilbao. Quite a special evening for the home side, Alvaro. Yes, it is. Uh, let's not forget that we are the father of Atletico de Madrid because that club was founded by Athletic de, de Bilbao students living in Madrid. So, you know, father beat the son. Let's don't forget that. Okay, let's start by that. that. Let alone forget it. I did not know that. Mm, yeah, yeah. Basque students living in Madrid at uh, the beginning of the 20th century uh, founded uh, a club in there and that club became Atletico de Madrid. So that's more or less long thing short the way the, the story of Atletico started. But yeah, right. it was, uh, you know, the most... Uh, baffling thing about that win from Athletic Club is that uh, they didn't play with their best players because they had a number of uh, players in the sidelines and uh, they had uh, Marcelino re- decided to, to do some rotations that worked very well and Athletic Club Bilbao we played with uh, six or seven players that two years ago they were playing in the third division uh, and they managed to beat Atletico de Madrid and uh, they did it uh, deservedly I would say. Atletico looked uh, at some point running out of ideas. I think that the midfield of Saul and Coque is not working. Uh, a lot relies on uh, Marcos Llorente uh, who wasn't able to score and at the end uh, it was a goal of Inigo Martinez in a corner that gave Athletic Club uh, the points, the victory and uh, at the end of the game Simeone was disappointed with the way Atletico had started the game in the first half and this is something that has happened to them in the past as well they don't start the game well and uh, then they are paying for that because they are not a team that can correct themselves in the way that Barcelona does if Barcelona starts losing a game 
you know that they've got enough players in there to change the tidal, but Atletico de Madrid suffers to do that. Uh, normally, they, they are very comfortable with a nil-nil scenario and scoring one goal and winning the game, but when they have to come back, they suffer. Barcelona, meanwhile, who have now taken more points than any other Liga side uh, this calendar year. 46 from a possible 51, 2-1 winners away at Villarreal. Uh, a lovely brace from uh, Antoine Griezmann. Beautiful. Oh, go on then, Alvaro. No, I mean, his first goal was unbelievable. I mean, uh, he decided to chip the ball or lob it. I don't know what's the nuance there. I uh, think it's a dink over the goalkeeper. Me, yeah. What is it, a chip or a lob? I thing? say dink. A dink, okay. The chip, okay. the chip is only if the ball is on the floor. Okay, well, then it's, it's a dink, as James said. He did that over Asenjo, and, uh, you know, it was... Something that he didn't have to do, really. I mean, because he, he missed that. He, he would have ridiculed himself. But uh, he scored the brace for Barcelona. And uh, Barcelona are the best team in La Liga in 2021. Uh, that's for sure. And now they seem to be the favorites to win the title because they can do with the following scorelines. I mean, they can win the rest of their uh, They have to win the rest of the games. And they can do with the draw against Atletico at home which is something new for them because before this weekend they needed to beat Atletico at home to be La Liga champions. So yeah, they were good news for Barcelona, definitely. I think that the three-man centre-back is working well for Kuman, and the mood in there is that the team is uh, heading to towards somewhere, you know, and some players, they are becoming world-class stars. I mean, Frenkie de Jong was a world-class star in 2019, not last season, and this year, he has become probably the most influential midfielder in La Liga. So, you know, good things are happening to Barcelona right now. And uh, we cannot uh, overlook what Kuman did in difficult circumstances, considering that he was signed by a president that is no longer there, uh, who was arrested, by the way. And when he signed for Barcelona, uh, Messi hadn't uh, dropped his own bomb yet and Luis Suarez was still playing at the club. So Kuman had to navigate through that and Barcelona is doing well now. He certainly is. Okay, so they're in pole position, even though they're second in the table right now. But there is a fourth team in the hunt behind Real Madrid in fourth place, but only three points off the top. Sevilla. Sevilla, who had a 2-1 victory this weekend against Granada, featuring a particularly bizarre bit of refereeing, Alvaro. Yeah, they played the 93 minutes plus one because uh, the referee... Uh, gave a four-minute aggregate in the game, but then he said that his stopwatch stopped and uh, he stopped the game and he, you know, uh, he gave the final whistle in the 93rd minute only for him to call the players two minutes later to tell them that he had a minute left to play. So most of the players, they were already going to the locker room. They already exchanged shirts between them and all that, and they had to put their kit on again and play the final minute of the game. But Sevilla won, and this is the most important thing. I mean, they, they are still there. Uh, if you look uh, by the back mirror, you see them so close. And uh, this is a team that was not supposed to be here. But uh, again, they've done such a good job uh, that we... Or they don't even celebrate that they qualified for Champions League anymore. This is the second year in a row that they will play Champions League. But uh, they told Suso, uh, one of the Sevilla players at the end of the game, well, congratulations because you qualified for the Champions League. And he didn't even know because Sevilla is no longer thinking of that. You know what I mean? Uh, this is the biggest triumph of this team. Uh, the fact that uh, they made qualifying for Champions League, like uh, something Formality. that you, we must take as granted. Mm. Well, they are definitely confirmed. Top four is now sorted in La Liga, but the title, anything but. Fascinating. All right, well, we'll, we'll catch up on more of that next time out. But next up, a word or two on the Europa League semi-finals.
This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. This is the Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Arsenal taking on Villarreal on Thursday. Man United up against Roma. Woo! Trip to Old Trafford. Happy memories for Roma fans. A. James. Sinistro. James, James, come on. <laughs> That's mean. That's really mean. The 7-1. Seven I got one won. goal. Yeah, and Watch it was a brilliant it. goal. I mean, it was Mancini, a was brilliant it? goal. It was De Rossi. De Rossi. Yeah, fantastic kind of no-look volley. But yeah, overall, you know, United with a better side. 7-1 the scoreline. So Roma have had the classic build-up to this kind of rematch. That was back in, when was that? 2006-07, I think, that, that season. Yeah. Uh, this time around, they arrive... Uh, with the Italian papers full of talk of a new manager, Maurizio Sarri, in pole position to take over from Paolo Fonseca. And fresh from a defeat away at bottom three side Cagliari this weekend. If Cagliari can put three goals past Roma, as they did, uh, James, how many do you think Man United will have? Well, I don't know. I think Roma's focus has been very much on these Europa League games because finishing in the top four uh, has, has become uh, problematic for them, particularly since the Europa League restarted. Um, yeah, they're the last team from Italy in Europe, and I think they've they've struggled with uh, Thursday Sunday um, turnaround. Um, I think they had some very impactful injuries around that time as well. Mkhitaryan getting injured, Spinazzola getting injured, Veratu getting injured. So three of their most consistent, decisive performers all all hurting themselves. But they are back uh, for this game. I think they're they're waiting to see about Spinazzola, who's who's really important to them. Chris Smalling's um, back as well. Smalling is back, but hasn't had the season that he had last year, uh, in part because he's, he's been injured a lot of the time. He also uh, was the victim of a uh, home invasion, mm. which was quite scary um, last week. But yeah, Roma have uh, don't have consistency at the back or haven't had consistency at the back in, in 2021. They've got some very good defenders, but for the most part, Brian Cristante, midfield player, has been playing at centre-back. There's uncertainty at the goalkeeper position, Paolo Lopez. Um, you know, I think as for the manager, I rate Fonseca. I think he's a very good, very good coach. He's in very difficult circumstances, ultimately, in that the club was taken over. The club uh, backed him, uh, but he's not their guy. Uh, they didn't do very much in the transfer window. Yeah, even going back to, to last summer, they signed Smalling on a permanent basis um, so late that, that there, was a, there was genuine doubt as to whether that had gone through. They then sounded a very raw uh, fullback from the States, Brian Reynolds, in, in January. So he's been working with more or less the same guys as he did last year. And remember with the sporting director there, um, the sporting director got sacked um, towards the end of Palotta's time then wasn't replaced and there was a vacuum at the club, which you know, I don't think was particularly healthy for Fonseca. I think Fonseca found out that the, the club was looking around and yeah, that's been that's been difficult, as is the situation with, uh, with Edin Dzeko, where there's been a personality clash between the, the coach and the, and, and the player. Um, 
But it's all or nothing for uh, for Roma, I think, on these two games. And uh, you know, they were lucky against Ajax um, to to come out of to come out of that to win in in Amsterdam. They were lucky. They, they should could have been two 0 down had uh, a penalty not been saved. So we'll see. They do have a, they do have enough talent on that team to cause United problems. Um, so. Yeah, in some respects, it's just a shame for them that the Olympico is not open full because you know Rome on European nights is is pretty special. Well, that's for sure. I'm sure United fans would say the same thing about Old Trafford as well. The other game that will be taking place on Thursday night is, of course, Villarreal against Arsenal. Alvaro, again on in Monday's show, you you gave us a little taste of what this might mean for Unai Emery. You must be having a a chuckle or two as he looks at his old club and what they've been getting up to since his departure. Yes, I think that this is very important for Unai Emery. Uh, he probably wants to reestablish his reputation among uh, Arsenal supporters and beating them. Uh, maybe he doesn't buy their sympathy, but definitely he will be you know, considered like a, the great coach that he, he has been sometimes. And I believe that uh, Villarreal uh, doesn't have the threat that Arsenal can present, not at all. And a little bit as it happened with Real Madrid against Liverpool, the more Villarreal tries to slow down the game, the better for them. Because we saw Arsenal playing at Prague that uh, when they give their best version, uh, counter-attack or not, they are capable of scoring many goals and they are very dangerous. The good thing, sadly, for Villarreal is that uh, probably Aubameyang, Lacazette, and some key players won't be playing for Arsenal, and those two especially, they, they are a proper threat. But Villarreal, uh, they are being very solid this season. I think that uh, in Europe they have been uh, far more reliable than in Spain, though. And uh, one of the secrets of this team is that Unai Emery mm, has found like a very convincing, for him at least, uh, starting lineup, and he barely changes it. Uh, and some men are especially standing out. Pau Torres is uh, the best young Spanish centre-back by far. I think that Samu Chukweze, the Nigerian player, uh, is covering a lot of ground and uh, he's uh, improving a lot as the weeks go by. And then Gerard Moreno, as I said yesterday, he has scored 26 goals this season and uh, he's scoring threat. He has hit his own Senate, you know, at the age of 29 years old. And uh, this is his moment. Gerard Moreno knows that this is his chance to win a title. And Villarreal knows that because this is a club that has never won a big title, even though they've been really close to winning a couple of times. Mm. Kozuna Emery has won this competition three times as severe manager. Villarreal currently in a good run of form, unbeaten in 12 games. They won 11 of those. You can't say the same for Arsenal, uh, Julian. I know you've, you've been witness firsthand to some of their Europa League antics. What, what, what do you make of their chances in this clash? I think it's a 50-50, this one, because Villarreal have done well, but not always very convincing, I thought, and I've watched them quite a lot this season. They've got some really good players, and Arsenal have been at times much better in the Europa League than they have been in the league anyway. But they're still a very inconsistent team. Arsenal, as we saw, capable of great things against Prague, like Alvaro said, and then being terrible, despite all the changes made by Arteta against Fulham, for example, or or even against Everton on Friday night. So... It's hard to tell this one. The the absences, I think, will, will play a big part, of course. If there's no Lacazette or Bameyang for Arsenal, that's that's huge. Same with Martin Odegaard, depending on of his fitness as well. So I think that could play a big part in this first leg, for sure. OK, Thursday night. It's all going to be happening at the Ceramica. Is that right, Avaro? Absolutely. OK, good. Next up, how about a bit of Bundesliga? 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're listening to the Totally Football Show, sponsored by Paddy Power. Bundesliga Rafa. Ooh, big Lev. Lewandowski is back for Bayern. But oh my word, they've lost again. This time against struggling Mainz 2-1. Great for Mainz, who pulled clear of the drop zone. But Bayern, what's going on? Yeah, momentous result for Mainz, less so for Bayern, who I think went into the game thinking, OK, we'll probably win it this week. If not, we'll win it the next match day. This is basically over. And that lack of intensity, I think, came back to, to haunt them, especially because the Mainz team under Bo Svensson are so much improved and played so well that Bayern, by the time they got going, it was just too late. Also, Lewandowski did score, but didn't quite look his usual best I think you could see that he'd uh, been out for a while he wasn't quite as sharp he missed a chance that he usually would have would have put away so yeah the sort of defeat that can happen when one team plays with a lot to play for and the other Mm. didn't really when one team has their minds elsewhere you might say anyway Mm. Bayern are seven points clear with three games to go and still pretty much locked in for the title yet again behind them that top four race is tight. You've got RB Leipzig in second place, but a chunk behind them. Three teams within two points of each other, battling for two Champions League spots. Wolfsburg on 57 points, Frankfurt on 56, and Dortmund on 55, having beaten Wolfsburg this weekend. What a big result for Edin Terzic's side. Yeah, huge, huge result and two great goals from Erling Haaland. And a lot of people now sort of, thinking, okay, Dortmund, finally, you know, they, they they left it really late, but now they're playing the kind of stuff that we'd expect them to to be and surely they will finish fourth. I mean, I tend to agree, but then, you know, Dortmund have, have let us down so many times. I'm not quite yet prepared to, to think that this is over, but with Frankfurt and Wolfsburg just running out of steam just ever so slightly and Dortmund picking up a lot of pace behind them, you'd like to think, and I think it'd be great for for everyone concerned, really, if Dortmund still make it, you'd like to think that they will. Of course, they also have a big game coming up um, next weekend when the Bundesliga is is actually uh, on a break, but they will play in the semi-final of the uh, DFB-Pokal against Holstein Kiel, who they should really beat. And then they're in the final, and maybe there will be a happy end to the season after all for them. Okay, a Jude Bellingham getting sent off this weekend in the 2-0 win over Wolfsburg. So he's presumably going to miss a game or two of these these final three crucial matches in their bid to return to the Champions League. It's just one game. It was a second yellow. Just one game. Okay, then. And uh, we did have a listener asking who is going to take over from uh, Nagelsmann at RB Leipzig. Rafa, is that now confirmed? Well, it's not confirmed that he's off. By the time that we're recording, it might well be later uh, tonight, on Monday night, that is. A lot of people expect RB to go in-house and promote Jesse Marsh from Salzburg up to 
to Leipzig, who are at the pinnacle of the uh, RB football um, family. It's sort of a, a reverse Russian doll, you know, with, with cans. So the, the cans get bigger and bigger. But that's, and and RB that is the biggest one. Hmm? That's, not, that's not reverse. No, with the Russian dolls, you take them apart and then they you end up with the smallest one, no? Well, yeah, but it's impossible to do it any other way. How would you get, take them apart and get a bigger one? <laughs> reverse matryoshka. <laughs> okay. No, but that's the thing with a can. You can open a can, right? Yes. And what would be inside? A bigger can? A smaller one. A smaller <laughs> can, of course. A smaller yeah, can. Yeah, but you want to finish with a bigger one that you've opened in the first place. <laughs> Okay, I clearly need to think this through, but still, I think you get get the idea. That yeah, it's impossible, but yeah. As far as cans go, right? Um, and I'm not talking a German band, of course. Um, nice. RB are, uh, RB Leipzig are the biggest one, right? And um, yeah, the indications are that Jesse Marsh is certainly the favorite for that job. Whether they are 100% sure that he is the best man, I I couldn't tell you. I think mm-hmm. there are one or two people who perhaps wonder just how good a coach he is. Um, he's a great motivator, uh, and doing so in a, in a foreign language is even more impressive. But tactically, I think it's going to be hard to uh, fill the boots of, of Nagelsmann, who, who got a lot out of this team. And, and talking about big changes in the league, uh, we should also mention that Markus Kröscher, the sporting director of Leipzig, is off. Whether that's directly connected to Julian Nagelsmann leaving, we are yet to find out. But uh, his contract has been dissolved and it'll be interesting to see where he pops up. He was in the discussion to go to Schalke. There is a vacancy at Frankfurt uh, because Freddie Bobic is moving on to, to Hertha. And there's another uh, managerial change with Heiko Herrlich, the Augsburg manager, getting fired. And Markus Weinziel, who was at Augsburg, of course, before. Um, is coming back to hopefully save them from the drop because their form has been pretty bad, uh, but not quite as bad as Werder Bremen, who are sinking fast. Seven defeats on the trot. And by the time you listen to this podcast, Florian Kofeld might just be the next managerial casualty in, in the Bundesliga that I think is only about five clubs left that either haven't or won't change their manager for next season. Crikey. Wow. All right, then. Well, um, we'll have an update on that, of course, in next week's show. But next up, we'll conclude today's Totally with a check on Serie A. This is the Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. James, Inter, five rounds to go. They've all but won the title. They had a 1-0 against Verona this weekend. Below them, top four race, again, is ever so tight. Four teams within five points of each other. And by the time... You hear this, listener, on Tuesday. That could well be four teams within two points of each other. As it stands, Atlanta are currently second. They had a 5-0 win over Bologna at the weekend. Milan are third, two points behind the Bergamaschi, but they play Monday evening, Milan, away at Lazio. Juventus are currently in the last Champions League spot, but Napoli on Monday evening will face Torino. Napoli are three points behind Juve and have a game in hand. Crikey. Well, looking forward to seeing what Napoli do against Torino. Last Thursday, they had a huge win at Lazio, a 5-2. An interesting moment early on in this game, James, when Lazio's uh, Malazzeri bursts through on the break, goes down and it looks like a clear penalty. Referee goes over to the little VAR station and indeed blows for a spot kick. But here's a twist. (laughs) 
<laughs> it's for the other team. Yeah, at the beginning of that action, it was um, SMS, no, who'd waved a boot in someone's face. And so Milinkovic Savage, so they, they, they gave a penalty for Napoli and away they went. And 5-2, some beautiful goals. Insigne and Mertens uh, really on on forming that. So we'll see what they do against Torino, who are in the middle of a relegation battle at the moment. As for Juve, as we mentioned, just three points ahead of Napoli as it stands today. Uh, another setback for them, and one that came in traditionally one of the most keenly awaited or keenly felt fixtures away in Florence against Fiorentina. Yeah, Fiorentina, who beat them uh, before Christmas at the Allianz Stadium in Turin, and emphatically so as well. I think it was their biggest win away at uh, their rival since the 50s. And it looked for a time like they were going to do the double uh, over the Bianconeri because they took the lead uh, once again. And we've seen this so many times in the league this season. Juventus going behind, Adrian Rabiot giving away a penalty. Uh, Dusan Vlajevic, the Fiorentina striker, who's had a very good season, scoring a lot of spot kicks, put them in front with a penenka over Wojciech Szczesny. And... Juventus got level right at the start of the second half. Fiorentina went to sleep, but they didn't really do uh, much else. Cristiano Ronaldo, that's four games now that he's gone without a goal. Um, And this team just doesn't have any consistency. Um, Or at least it's consistent in disappointing people. I think that's the the only way to look at it. And Andrea Pirlo after the game saying, look, I'm not happy with myself. I'm not happy with the situation. And I don't think the club are happy with it either. So... We'll have to see. I mean, the sporting director, Fabio Paratici, before the game was asked, if you qualify for the Champions League, does that mean Pirlo will stay? And he said, yes. Fabio Paratici has said all kinds of things over the last three years. I mean, uh, taking Juventus at their word uh, at the moment is is, is is quite difficult. I mean, Paratici... Had... <laughs> well, you said that. Um, Paratici had come out and basically said, Allegri was, would stay, Allegri got sacked. He said, Sarri would stay, Sarri got sacked. So let's see if, uh, mm. if he's so it's actually it's actually not but it's actually not a good thing that he said that <laughs> Pirlo was staying. Yeah. So we'll, we'll have to see. I think even if if even if they do um, qualify for the Champions League, and Agnelli made this point when he was making his point about the Super League and stability, you know, and all this sort of thing that um, you know if we had guaranteed revenues, we could give people more time, you know, like mm. a young coach or a young player. And uh, but I don't think. But a team that's won the title nine years in a row to complain about lack of stability is a bit rich, don't you think? It is. uh, It is. Uh, I think we do underestimate how difficult terms that has been and how extraordinary this run has been Mm. over the last nine years because we've certainly seen other teams um, not go beyond three, five. Why have Juventus done it? We can go into that as a whole separate podcast. Um, But... But I, don't, I think even if they do get into the Champions League, James, I don't think Pirlo has done enough to to justify a second season. All right, um, one shot on target from his Juventus with Dybala and Cristiano Ronaldo paired up top in in, in this one. Uh, all very disappointing. A terrific point, though, for Fiorentina, even if they didn't pick up a second win. Yet another goal for Dujan Vlaovic. That's his eighth in the last seven for Fiorentina. It was a penalty, little Kukiai uh, or Panenka. A wonderful equaliser from Maratta 30 seconds after he came onto the field for Juventus. But as for Fiorentina, who are kind of perpetually in this state of surviving a crisis and about to relaunch themselves, where are they now under Rocco Camiso? Who's going to take over from Iacchini at the end of the season? Are they on their way back? And and what is the future for Vlajevic, who's increasingly looking like one of the hottest prospects for this summer's transfer window? 
Well, you have to say, James, that Fiorentina have been one of the big disappointments in Serie A the last couple of years. Um, they have uh, the seventh highest wage bill in the league. They should be doing much better. They should be challenging for the Europa League. They're nowhere near that. Um, in, in, in fact, they find themselves again at risk of being sucked into a relegation battle. Um, you know, Sassuolo have outperformed them. Atalanta, of course, have outperformed them. Um, so I think they... they been stuck in cycles with managers right they buy the club they inherit Vincenzo Montella Montella once upon a time was a good manager they stand by him it doesn't work they don't have to bring in a caretaker Beppe Iacchini Iacchini does okay sort of good enough to basically say okay we'll have you the coach next year I think they basically need to just say right new summer new coach this is the direction we're going in I think that coach will probably be Rino Gattuso, um, who's doing very well at Napoli um, at the moment. Uh, I just think that that situation between him and the, the club uh, became very frayed around the turn of the year. Um, and I think he'll be looking for a new job in the summer. He's Calabrian, like Rocco. And as for Vlajevic, Vlajevic's contract is up at 20, in 2022. I think they're kind of quite confident privately that they can get him to extend, that this will be different from Bernadeschi, different from Chiesa in particular. Mm. Let's see. Let's see. Because certainly when you're, a, when you're a player who's scoring, who might get more than 20 goals in the league this season, he will have no shortage of offers. Well, he's, he's currently on kind of Batistuta numbers, just to yeah. put things in perspective. And Batistuta was playing for, for a significantly better uh, Fiorentina team. Mm-hmm. Mm. Alrighty, okay. Uh, anything else you want to mention about City A before we wrap it up? I know there are loads of other stories. As I say, there's a mad relegation battle. Three teams, Torino in there. They're one of three teams tied on 31 points down the bottom end. In fact, there's, including Fiorentina, five teams within two points of each other. That's Fiorentina, Spezia, Torino, Cagliari and Benevento, who are the side currently in the relegation zone. So that's going to be a, a fascinating Just a, duel. A, a special shout out for Crotone, James. Because Cotone will go down. I think they've conceded maybe 400 goals this season. Um, but they, they are the kind of team that really just goes down fighting. They don't care. I mean, their, their striker, Simi, um, has scored what? Um, I think he's had... I think he's in 2021, he scored six braces. And I think only Messi and Haaland have got, have got more. Uh, yeah, his second half of the season has been r- remarkable. He's, he's uh, I think this is the best season that Nigerian has had in Serie A since Obafemi Martin. So um, he's been he's been kind of fun to fun to watch, and also Cersei Cosme just being just being mm. on, uh, back in Serie A has been brilliant as well. Magnificent. All right, Atlanta were fun again this weekend with that five nil, but we'll leave that there for now. Let's finish up today's totally football show with a quick question for you, Alvaro. It comes from Jack Tanner. He says, I'd like to ask Alvaro about the Euro games being moved from Bilbao to Sevilla. He also adds, I was surprised they were given to Bilbao in the first place, given the history, says Jack. I know, let's don't try to read too much into politics. I mean, Bilbao, uh, we know that uh, there is a nationalist move in the Basque country that has been for, for centuries. But I think that uh, the city was very interested in hosting the, the Euro, otherwise they wouldn't have bid for that. And... Uh, Basically, Bilbao is fuming because uh, UEFA has decided um, not to give uh, Euro 2020 uh, to Bilbao uh, because to UEFA's eyes, uh, the protocols in the Basque Country and by extension uh, in Bilbao uh, did not guarantee the presence of fans in the stands in June. 
the thing is that the health protocols are very strict in the Basque Country, and I believe that UEFA would like to have a certain number of fans in the stands, and they think that in Bilbao this is going to be pretty difficult. Bilbao is very angry about that, uh, but it looks like the place of Bilbao uh, is going to be transferred to La Cartuja in Sevilla. Okay, which is not Betis' stadium and it certainly isn't Sevilla. So what's La Cartuja usually used for? Uh, La Cartuja is a municipal ground. It's no more than that, but it's used a lot, actually, because Spain uses to play there and uh, a number of cup finals have been played there. Well, it's a shame for Bilbao, a lovely city, but good news for Sevilla, potentially, which is also a lovely city. Hmm. Yeah, and uh, Bilbao uh, saw this uh, UEFA 2020 as an opportunity to get out of the crisis, just hosting uh, fans from Sweden, especially, uh, who happen to travel to cities and spend uh, a lot of money, but Hmm. this won't happen anymore. Well, you never know. They might have, I wouldn't say dodged a bullet, but you know, you never know. They might have avoided a potential health risk. Who knows? But hmm, uh, yeah. yes. Anyway, that's the that's the motivation for that. Brilliant. That brings us to the end of today's Totally Football show. Many thanks to everyone for being with us. And of course, we'll be back next Tuesday when we'll have the Champions League first legs to react to and loads of other stories as well as we hurtle towards the climax of the various European campaigns. Excellent stuff. Thanks, Jules. Thanks, Alvaro. Thanks, James. And thanks, Rafa. And thank you, listener. We'll see you in a week's time. And now from all of us here, it's goodbye. You've been listening to The Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Keep up to date with everything Totally at thetotallyfootballshow.com and follow us at The Totally Show on Twitter and Insta. Check out all of the Athletics Football podcasts on Apple, Spotify and all the usual places or listen ad-free on the Athletic app. The Totally Football Show is a Muddy Knees Media production and sponsored by Paddy Power. The Athletic.